Hi, I'm Olivia McCollins, and this is Purdue, the official podcast for Purdue University. Our conversations and stories feature Boilermaker students, faculty and staff, and alumni taking small steps toward their giant leaps and inspiring others to do the same. I speak with Mohammed Salim in part one of this episode. Salim, a professor of microbiology in the College of Veterinary Medicine, studies FDA-approved drugs to determine if they can successfully treat antibiotic-resistant infections. We talk about his team's effort to tackle the pressing shortage of antibiotics, a shortage that the World Health Organization, or WHO, confirms is critical. Because it may take more than 10 years for drugs to enter the market, Salim, who is passionate about helping humans and animals, recommends we take urgent action. In part two, the director of the Purdue Center for Cancer Research, Tim Ratliff, shares the life events that inspired his passion for cancer research and his current role in the center. WHO confirmed that we are really running out of antibiotic. And this is not exaggeration. This is really a reality. Absolutely, we're running out of antibiotics. You're going to see so many infections now we can no longer treat. We cannot find a correct antibiotic to treat those patients. And bugs keep mutated every day. Bacteria keep mutated every day. Even when you put one antibiotic in the market, just a couple of years later, bacteria become resistant to this antibiotic. So... Another thing is pharmaceutical companies are not interested anymore in antibiotics because antibiotics mm. actually, they lose money by making antibiotics. That was one of the interesting things that I've learned when I joined the field of antibiotics. Why companies would lose money when they make antibiotics? Because people don't take antibiotics very often. And clear infection, that's one thing. Second thing is if the company actually invented the most powerful, most potent antibiotic, doctor would not prescribe it. Doctor would keep it as a backup. And that's not a very good model for a pharmaceutical company. When your drug that you invested 15 years, because this is how long does it take to put a single antibiotic in the market, takes 15 years, and it takes up to $2 billion to put a single antibiotic in the market. So companies are not interested in that anymore. They would like to invest in drugs that people take every day, like chronic diseases. Because of that, most pharmaceutical companies actually left the field. So it's up to us, basically, academia, to invest in this field. And this is where I became very much interested in that field. As I mentioned, the finding correct or right antibiotic and to reach the market may take up to 15 years and cost $2 billion. So one way we found in our lab that we can expedite this process, make it shorter, cost less, and more effective is to screen or identify antibiotic in the FDA-approved drugs already. There is 3,000 FDA-approved drug used for different indications, for heart failure, for blood pressure, for diabetes. All these drugs, we collect them because now these drugs are already approved. So you, you know their toxicity. You know they are not toxic. People use them already. All you have to do is change their application. So that process is very fast, very efficient. going to reduce the time and cost for finding new antibiotics. We collected all FDA-approved drugs in the lab where then we start to see which of these FDA-approved drugs also have additional characteristics like killing bacteria. Trying to see if they're multi-purpose in a way. Exactly. Ah, okay. This is called drug repurposing. Is okay. You repurpose the drug to do something else. 
And there is incidents in the market, like there are so many drugs in the market with originally tried to hit certain disease, then it didn't work, then repurpose it to do something else. So that's exactly the part of our research, tried to repurpose already approved drug. And we had success, actually. We had so many drugs already FDA approved that has so much potential to be used as antibiotics. Mm. And that's what we try to do in the lab, to find out what the microorganism, what the dose you should give for these new drugs to treat this infection, and are they effective for treating animals or not, then basically move to human at Mm. the end. This is definitely a crisis and something that we need to pay attention to. But give us a sense of hope. What are some of the successes that you're finding in your lab that can give us confidence that this is getting better, that we're solving these pressing issues? Give us some hope, doctors. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, we have several drugs we discovered against Neisseria gonorrhea, the microorganism that causing gonorrhea. Many of these drugs are already available in the market. People take them for different indication. And uh, we're running the experiment now to prove do they work in animals or not. And if they work in animals, ideally, I would love to see these drugs basically to move for clinical trial in human. But overall, we proved that finding treatment in FDA-approved drug is possible. And people to actually screen more drugs, I think this process by itself is very promising, has so much potential to lead to drugs that can hit the market faster with less expense than the traditional way of finding antibiotics. Thank you. That's hope. (laughs) While Salim and his team work to find solutions, he recommends certain actions that we can do to proactively guard ourselves from infections. So definitely washing hands is something that absolutely people need to wash hands. Doctor, nurses, they used to actually use hand sanitizer all the time, but it became now more clear that washing hands is still the most effective way to prevent infection because hand sanitizer doesn't kill everything. But again, it's not something that people should abandon. Actually, mm-hmm. if they don't have access to washing hand, hand sanitizer probably can help you. Don't replace washing hand by hand sanitizer. If you have access to both, so I definitely, when I have access to both, I go with the washing hands over the hand sanitizer Mm -hmm. because it's more effective in clearing some infection than hand sanitizer. Antibiotics. People should not take antibiotic, and that's actually what led us to this situation is overprescription of antibiotic. Mm -hmm. People take antibiotic and not take the force the doctor to prescribe antibiotic to them. And many occasions, Dr. Bin said that we've been forced, pressured, basically, to prescribe antibiotic for people with viral infection, people that antibiotic would not benefit them. But because the patient would feel good, they actually prescribe antibiotic. So there are several reports saying that 60% of the prescription of antibiotic in this country are actually unnecessary. Indiana is one of the states that over-prescribed antibiotic. There is over 1,000 prescription for 1,000 people. That means you get more prescription Mm -hmm. than the people in Indiana. You want to take your antibiotic and finish the dose instead of taking a few days and then you feel better, then you stop taking antibiotic. If the doctor prescribed antibiotic for certain indication, 10 days, should take it for 10 days. It was for five days. You want to take it for five days. The one good thing about antibiotic, that people feel better very soon. I mean, within a day or two, they immediately feel better, but that doesn't mean you really got rid of the infection. There is a chance that the bacteria is still there, but you're not seeing any issue with it. So don't stop antibiotic till you really finish what the doctor prescribed for you, because that actually may also lead to antimicrobial resistance at the end. 
Probiotic is important. Although this area is still being investigated because we still don't know which kind of probiotic that people should take, but ideally, at least yogurt, at least any of those healthy food that containing probiotic actually would help people to reestablish their good intestinal bacteria, good intestinal flora. And having good intestinal flora actually will prevent people from getting infection with many microorganisms. Healthy diets, one of the things with a fiber, actually enhance a good microbiota, a good bacteria in your intestine. That's something people should be aware of, that the healthy diet with fiber will definitely overall make you less liable to certain infections. So I wanted to switch gears a little bit. What are some of the challenges that you face with this research, with antibiotics? Definitely antibiotic research is is challenging. And one of the challenges we have is toxicity. Even the current FDA-approved antibiotics, they do have toxicity. Because what you're trying to do is you try to kill bacteria. You cannot have a drug that kills bacteria, but at the same time does not harm your life cells. A biggest challenge in antibiotic discovery is toxicity. You have so many compounds, so many drugs. They can kill bacteria, but you cannot give them to human because they're going to have a huge toxicity associated with them. And actually, even the current antibiotic, there are so many people that liver failure, they had kidney failure, they lost their hearing because side effect associated with antibiotics. So that's one of the challenges we have with finding new antibiotic. The second challenge is finding novel antibiotic or a new antibiotic. Most of the drugs that we discover every day is kind of recycled drug, drug that was discovered before. And we have an idea that probably in a year or two, bacteria will become resistant to it. So finding novel, something new that kills bacteria in a novel way that bacteria did not recognize before, this is very challenging. Even with these challenges, Salim and his team persist, screening drugs again and again and again. Their persistence stems from their passion for helping others. What is your why in all of this? Why do you do what you do? Well, honestly, helping people and animals. This is actually what makes us move every day. Having impact, saving lives, that's what makes us move every day, knowing that yeah, there is a chance you will have antibiotic hit the market and save lives. Because I know it's a very long process. I know it's not an easy thing, but knowing that the impact you can have at the end, saving lives, preventing mortality, treating patients, relieve the suffering from animal and human, I think that's why at the end we, we come to work every day. We now shift the spotlight to the Purdue Center for Cancer Research, one of only seven basic science cancer centers in the United States. In an interview recorded in 2019, Tim Ratliff tells the unique story of how he came to Purdue to champion and actively participate in discoveries that fight cancer. I still enjoy the outdoors. I uh, have been running for years. I get up every morning and run before I come to work. I was born in Columbus, Georgia, uh, raised there, graduated from high school there. I went to the University of Tennessee from Columbus, then transferred to the University of Texas Arlington. My plan was to be a field biologist and uh, ultimately be a park ranger. 
and then my father was diagnosed with uh, malignant melanoma. He had surgery and then had recurrence. My father-in-law was diagnosed with prostate cancer. You know, we kept them at home, and so my wife and I spent time caring for them. And it was really difficult, you know, to watch them die. And they both died within six months of one another. It really had an impact. It sort of changed my picture of what would be an important thing to do in life. So I kicked off my boots and put on my lab coat. And uh, now I'm an immunologist. And one of the really kind of happy things for me is when I was at Washington University School of Medicine, uh, we were working on a screening test for prostate cancer, and it's our group that validated that test. And from that time forward, screening with PSA uh, was something that many men started doing. Dr. Aleph uh, came to Purdue in 2007. He uh, started at uh, Washington University, then went to the University of Iowa, and then Purdue was able to lure him over here. And in my opinion, he has absolutely elevated the reputation of the Purdue Center for Cancer Research. So there are 70 National Cancer Institute designated cancer centers in the United States. We're one of those 70, and we have kind of a unique designation. We're called a Basic Science Cancer Center, and there are only seven of those in the country. We don't treat patients, but we discover how cancer cells become cancer cells. We develop new ways to treat the cancers. We develop new ways to image. So we make the tools that others use to treat. We have like 123 members in our center. They represent 19 departments across six colleges. So it's very diverse backgrounds. But all of these people come together to do one thing, and that's fight cancer. The thing I enjoy the most is getting people together to do work that otherwise they wouldn't do. This person has expertise, that person has expertise. Can we bring them together and make things happen? And our center, through very generous donors, provides money to really uh, enable them to do the experiments they need to to validate the testing that they're pursuing. So it's working. Uh, we really have an opportunity to make a major, major impact. Tyler Trent became a symbol and an inspiration to everyone in the Purdue family and to millions elsewhere. We know there's an extra ration of grit in heaven tonight. We learned about his situation, a kind of cancer called osteosarcoma. It attacks primarily uh, young teenagers. And uh, so we got to know Tyler. His dream was to come to the Ohio State game and uh, our center shares a suite in the football stadium, so we invited him to come to our suite. And you know the outcome of that game. That was one of the most exciting games we've had in a long time, and Tyler was in heaven. I'm telling you, he was just really honored across the board. It was a great experience for him. And subsequent to that, one of our investigators, Dr. Philip Lau, developed a really special way to take cells from your body, modify them, and put them back in your body so that they attack the cancer. And the first cancer we're going to treat, osteosarcoma. Indocyte, the company formed around that technology, has that planned and it looks like 
The trial will start in May. And so it's a great opportunity to honor Tyler to do something on this particular type of cancer. It can't be soon enough. As you look into the future, when we talk about cancer research, are you optimistic? I'm very optimistic. You know, we've been here for 40 years. We have 11 drugs in clinical trials. We have some that are ready for FDA approval. We have a building next door, this, the Drug Discovery Institute. And then my own research, of course, and working with the students working in the lab. And uh, we have a great canine oncology group here. It's a department in the School of Veterinary Medicine here at Purdue. It's always exciting, the discoveries. You never know what the experiments are gonna really yield, and you're, when they do, you find something new, and it's exciting. We're always looking for cures, but certainly, over the next dozen years or so, we're gonna be able to make cancer a disease that we can live with. I've been watching my PSA since we were developing it as a screening test back at Washington University. As always, you know, with age, it'll increase a little bit. But mine then took a big jump, and uh, then I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Certainly it goes to show that nobody is immune from it, and Dr. Ratliff has uh, kind of a special knowledge of prostate cancer but by virtue of his history and his uh, research. I was operated on in June of 16. I was happy that we caught it early and could really treat it effectively, and as of now, I have a undetectable PSA, so I'm in good shape. I run about three miles these days. I get up at 4 a.m. every morning. It really keeps me in good physical condition. I can play with all my grandchildren and keep up with them. His story, I think, is one that uh, I, I, I probably tell more than he does. Uh, within one year, he lost both his father and father-in-law to cancer. Uh, from that point, he now has, is, in fact, one of the leading researchers in cancer research, not only in the country, but in the, in the world. I hope he's uh, earning uh, the recognition that he, I believe, deserves. In retrospect, I wouldn't have gone down this path if that hadn't occurred but I'm sorry for the events that caused me to do it. At least a bad thing turned out for good. Thanks for listening to This is Purdue. For more information on this episode, visit our website at purdue.edu slash podcast. There you can route to your favorite podcast app, subscribe, and leave a review. As always, boiler up.